0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Welcome to On The Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone, joined, as usual, by Christopher Knee, Joshua Newberg. Guys, do you like the nickname J-Trav? That's what I'm calling him.
2: No, I think it's horrible, and the fact it came from you makes it even worse. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounds really bad coming from you.
1: Okay, well, I've lost all confidence about there thirty seconds into, into this. Yeah, I can't call him J. Trav anymore.
2: <laughs> I like that people think you like kind of have it out for him. That's become a narrative I've enjoyed.
1: Yeah, that. yeah. People who don't use critical thinking. We're, we'll get into this. Ooh, we'll get wow. Into this. I just someone someone's not, wound not, up not,
2: on a Monday afternoon.
1: I've been wound up for like three or four days. I'm kind of over it. I'm kind of over it right now. All I do gonna- is just drop news and nuggets and consistent tidbits, and what do I get, Chris? Nothing. I'm gonna keep poking your ass the whole. Whoa! Oh. Whoa! Whoa! Whoa.
2: <laughs> what, wrong word usage. This,
1: this is the, this is the Beyond the Bench uh, explicit podcast. I can't wait for some three, write- two, one.
2: <laughs> I'm going to keep poking you this entire podcast.
1: All right. So resetting it here for on the bench. We are going to do a final look at FSU's 41-24 win over Jacksonville State and more so spinning this forward. Jordan Travis is quarterback one. Got a little bit of the review of the game. Got some uh, personnel roster news with, uh, with Cyrus Fagan. No longer on the team. I guess that's news there, but we'll get into that. And a little bit of recruiting scoop as well. Uh, But we're going to start off with Jordan Travis. He is officially, to no surprise, quarterback one. He was listed as a starter, the only starter, no co or anything like that. Next to him on the depth chart this week, Mike Norvell spoke about him glowingly today during Monday's press conference. So uh, there's no ambiguity there. It is Jordan Travis for right now. It's his job. Josh, I want to start with you here. Uh, The fan base seems giddy. They seem optimistic, generally speaking. There are people buying in on Jordan Travis and what this offense can do under him. Uh, are you as excited do you think you're matching that level of of anticip- anticipation for the jordan travis the j trav air if you will yeah
3: i'm excited i'm excited i think i think as a fan if you're going to be excited this is the time to do it because i'm not sure Jordan Travis after next week is going to be nearly as exciting as Jordan Travis coming off of Alabama State. So if you're going to have excitement in this season, why not just do it right now? Before we, we run the gauntlet of the games that are, are upcoming, um, Jordan Travis gave FSU fans something to cheer for. It gave Kenny Dillingham so many times we've heard Kenny Dillingham come out in these press conferences on Monday and say that we got to figure out what we do well. We got to figure out what we do right. And just maybe we just do that over and over and over. Well, guess what? Jordan Travis finally gave them a look at some things that they can do. Under James Blackman, we couldn't figure out what this offense can do. So at least Jordan Travis gives them the spark. We're heading to Notre Dame. Um, I know the betting lines are down right now, but they're probably big underdogs. And I think Jordan Travis, if anyone on that roster,
2: gives them the best chance to win right now. Josh is so excited. He called Jacksonville State Alabama
1: State. Oh, that's what you, I, Chris, I didn't know what you were smiling at. I wanted to jump that in. That was, was the like, last no. win.
3: I'm sorry. Alabama State, Jacksonville State. I mean, those were the two last wins for us. I
1: didn't know until this week that Jacksonville State was in Alabama. So that's why you got it confused, Josh. Thank you. That's why. That's why. <laughs> and Josh mentioned, I do think we should throw this out there real quick with Notre Dame because it is going to be a storyline to watch. The betting lines were taken down. I'm not sure if it was everywhere, Josh, but it was taken down at least in some places. Uh, Notre Dame obviously dealing with some of the COVID issues uh, amidst the pandemic here. Uh, I was talking to their their beat writer, um, Tim O'Malley. Is that correct? Right, right, Chris? I got it.
2: Yeah, it's Tim and Tim over there as well. I know,
1: I was making sure I was talking to the, about the right Tim.
2: <laughs> yeah, Tim O'Malley, Tim Prister are the two main beat writers, and then Tom Moyes also on that beat with those guys, but he does primarily recruiting.
1: Tim felt pretty optimistic that they were trending in the right direction. Their most recent round of testing was good for Notre Dame, and they held a scrimmage uh, recently as well. So that seems to be moving in a good direction. Uh, Back, and we'll talk about Notre Dame as the game gets closer later in the week, Uh, but back to Jordan Travis and that development. You know, guys, he was really, really efficient with the football. He showed a little bit of uh, ability to push the ball downfield, which we'll get into, Uh, but most of the offense just responded really well with Jordan Travis, and that's been well-documented uh, both on Knowles twenty four seven on the previous podcast too. I don't want to get uh, bogged down in the numbers. Uh, what I want to do is spin it forward. Josh mentioned the identity that FSU's offense may be able to have under Jordan Travis that Kenny Dillingham discussed. Chris, uh, curious your thoughts what this offense can look like under under good old J Trav.
2: Well, I think it's if it he continues, happen. I think if he continues to make good decisions, it can have more success than it was having prior to his arrival as QB one. Uh, You know, it's Jacksonville state. So we got to weigh everything that happened in that game by the fact it was Jacksonville state. But a major positive to me is they had 16 chunk plays in that game for 330 offensive yards six through the year for a buck 80 10 on the ground for 150. I think they're more likely to continue that success on the ground and through the air I think they're going to have to pick their punches intelligently through the air as far as big plays at least in the sense of pushing the ball vertically you know if they block it up on a quick pass they can create chunk plays but I'm talking more chunk plays via ball ceiling through air is somewhere where I don't think Jordan Travis is a major strength. That's not to say he's not capable of it. We saw him push it down the field to Tamori to Ontario. We saw him push it down the field to Keyshawn Helton early on in his tenure in that game. So he is capable of doing it. I just don't think it's something you go to too often. You got to kind of set it up. It's not, he's not the gunslinger as you like to say, but that's a major positive. This offense is created to have, explosive plays it's created to find success on early downs to create the opportunities to keep a defense off balance for those explosive plays. They, in the first two games of the season were horrendous on early downs, putting themselves in bad situations for later downs, creating damn near no opportunities for big plays. And that showed by the stats, they were much, much better at it on Saturday, given a lesser opponent, Notre Dame is going to be a massive test because they're going to be able to kind of disconfigure your offensive line, cause some issues there, create some havoc. But I think FSU can still pick some punches and have some success in doing that. And that's a building block. That's something they need to continue to do. It's a piece of the offense, a major piece of the offense, a major piece of the framework of what they're trying to accomplish. So I think that's where you see them continue to go. But I think FSU is definitely morphing into more of a run-based team that takes some shots vertically and is capable of using the quick passing game to keep the chains moving in the sense of setting themselves up for favorable downs that they can win.
1: Chris, can you explain to the people why – well, why do you think the people think I do not care for Jordan Travis – well, I think people blasphemous are excited. blasphemous.
2: People are people are excited, and they should be. I mean, there's not been much to be excited around in these parts in several years, so take every bit you can get. I'm not here to say you shouldn't be happy. I think people think that Jordan Travis's passing ability that he exhibited on Saturday is something he can consistently do. And I'm not convinced that we know that at this point against higher tier offense or I'm sorry, defenses. I think that's a major question mark. I think that causes your hesitation. And in my part, also my hesitation that he's going to be able to consistently deliver that. But at the same time, even if he doesn't consistently deliver to that level, if it's better than what they were getting with the prior quarterback incarnations, they went with in the sense of Blackman and then briefly Tate then it's still an improvement for this offense. I think they found a little something that works. It works now. We'll see if there's an expiration on it. I think that's kind of where it is. But I think people think you're being a little Benny buzzkill and that you're uh, taking something that was a positive and trying to dash your hopes of it being a continued positive. I think your point is more so you're not trying to be a buzzkill. You're just not willing to yet fully buy in on it, which I think is
1: fair. Yeah, I'm just saying we don't know for sure he can, quote-unquote, throw. Although Willie – or sorry, I said Willie Taggart. <laughs> Definitely being a buzzkill now. that Mike Norvell said today, Kenny Dillingham also said that Jordan Travis can absolutely throw, that they've seen growth from him with his mechanics, with the footwork. And more so, Mike Norvell talked about this, which I thought was interesting. Josh, I want to get your thoughts on, on the role of confidence, both with Jordan Travis and this offense, how it responded to him. When he hits that 40-yard – 41 yard touchdown pass to Keyshawn Hilton. It wasn't maybe the best ball in the world, but it got there. It got there. He showed he could push the ball downfield and that kind of opened up things for not just Jordan Travis, but for the rest of the offense as well. The value man, Josh, what what's the value of, of a spark of everyone rallying around Jordan Travis. And do you think that's sustainable for at least a few games this season?
3: Well, the reason I think it's sustainable, uh, I think it's sustainable for a few games this season. And, um, the reason I think it's sustainable long term is because I think eventually Jordan Travis hands this excitement off to Chuba Purdy, so it's fine. Uh, I think even if Jordan Travis loses to Notre Dame um, and keeps it competitive, that the momentum with him in the offense will carry over. So maybe once Chuba's ready, we know that again he's going to create a spark. He's going to light a fire amongst that team and the fan base as well, just because he's new. He's coming off the bench. I don't know when that's going to be, but we have to assume it's going to happen at some point this season. So, yeah, I think he kind of brings, hes a he, he bridges the gap for Florida State. They don't have to throw Chubba Purdy into the fire against a Notre Dame, against a UNC. Maybe they can get him in there against Louisville, um, the team that he was committed to, and, and he can start his career against them. What, what a poetic start to his career. But I think Jordan Travis just gives FSU, Mike Norvell, Kenny Dillingham some time to breathe. When, when James Blackman was back there as their QB, they did not have much time to breathe. I mean, they were just trying to keep their head above water, trying to get this offense to look somewhat some of a semblance of an offense that should be playing at the Power 5 level. And Jordan Travis at least brings them that.
1: That Louisville game is going to be all sorts of awkward because it's either going to be Jordan Travis, who actually played at Louisville for a year, or uh, Purdy at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And be be a lot of uh, ex-girlfriend type. And Jared of life. Jackson. Oh yeah. He's on the roster. <laughs> he, hasn't, he hasn't
2: suited up yet. Him too.
3: They're just maybe they're just holding him back, you know. Oh, and Josh like, Griffiths was uh, committed
1: there for a little while too. Oh, I forgot about that. hmm mm-hmm. They were
2: to they were to rebound chick in that that case.
1: <laughs> Chris, after re watching FSU and Jacksonville State, do you feel better? worse or the same as you did when we were uh, doing the the instant reaction pod
2: you talking offensively or as a whole
1: as a whole as a whole and this is going to transition to the defense and and i think i know where your answer is going at this point
2: i feel pretty much the same truthfully um you know I, i thought the offense it looked really good obviously it it got really good there in the third quarter if they can emulate what they do in the third quarter they can win a heck of a lot of games but i don't think that's something they can do consistently um I think they can find more offensive success with what they're trying to do right now, especially in the run game, which helps with keeping the defense off the field, killing the clock, potentially putting points on the board, all important things. So I I was pleased with that. There were a lot of little intricacies of the offense that I was pleased with. I thought the O-line had their best game. There were some real bright spots. I thought Devontae Love-Taylor was excellent in that game. I thought that's the best game he's played as a Seminole. I think, in fact, it's the best game an offensive lineman has played this year. I think Alex Atkins deserves some credit for that group doing what they're doing. I'm not trying to say they're playing great, but they look competent. There's an effort. They're tapping into guys. They're doing what they have to do. They're trying to be better week in, week out. I feel like it is progressing in a positive manner. Um, Tamori and Terry, best game he's had this year. Running back group, best game they've had this year. You know, Jordan Travis, we've talked up plenty. Defensively.
1: Can I, well, can I elaborate on the offense stuff real quick, Chris? So you mentioned, Sure, go ahead. You mentioned Tamori and Terry uh, in the best game he had, and this doesn't fall just on on Morian, but also Ontario Wilson as well. And Keyshawn Helton, they all looked good. That's what I think competent quarterback play. And that spark that we talked about with Jordan Travis helps with, but the, this was talked about with Norvell and with Kenny Dillingham today, the perimeter blocking the effort yeah. that tomorrow Terry showed you go ahead and watch the Lawrence to Philly touchdown run. And it's tomorrow and Terry blocking his guy about 10, 15 yards downfield. There was a play that I pointed out in, in one of the film reviews where uh, Ontario Wilson's going out of bounds. Tomorrow didn't make a great block initially but had the wherewithal, the hindsight and and the hustle to catch Ontario, keep them in bounds and turn around and block someone to help Ontario get an extra five, 10 yards. Given where we were against Miami with Tamorian seeming frustrated and disengaged uh, the starting wide receivers didn't block particularly well at all in that game. And it was, it was really the freshman wide receivers who did so in the second half in garbage time. Uh, You can tell a lot about the, a program, with how it perimeter blocks the way college football is modern modern days here. Uh, the fact that they were willing to block, and I know it's against Jacksonville State DBs, but I thought that was really, really encouraging. The other thing I'll say on offense as well, we talked about this on the podcast the other day, was, was how many offensive line combinations do they have? I still haven't gotten a number on it. I asked Mike Novello about it today, and he, he laughed kind of nervously, said, honestly, it's too many to count, which probably isn't a great thing three games into the year. Uh, but he also credited Alex Atkins, the work he's done, I want to highlight Robert Scott. Uh, he had a a nice game, especially how he rebounded. We thought that was the case. The PFF metrics on him were good. He had an above-average grade for a true freshman right tackle. I don't care who the competition is. That's impressive. All three running backs were really good and did different things well at different times. Them also blocking and being complete running backs was, was really encouraging as well. So, yeah, that was the offense. I, I think you feel like there's actually, Josh mentioned this about 10 minutes ago, there's a semblance of an identity, uh, which growing, it's not there yet, but you see what it can be. Let's talk about the defense. Chris, uh, I rewatched the game. I don't feel awful about the defense, but I'm not encouraged. I just, I don't know, guys, correct me. I don't, Adam Fuller didn't come out and say it today, but like, I feel like they don't think they have guys who can run the system right now, which is kind of shocking given the the talent that we thought they would have on that side of the ball.
2: A uh, linebacker play has to get better. That's a position where I think they have some guys who are better players than they're playing. And in the sense of the players, they are playing are not playing to a higher level. Those guys can play better, not that they can be replaced. And, um, I, I think that will go a long way. Pass rush, I've lost hope on that really becoming a thing. I, I don't think they've got it. I don't think they got the guys. I joked about free agency on the instant reaction. I still feel that way. Kando is a slight upgrade for them, and I think it helps the group as a whole when he's playing, obviously. But I don't think it's going to be night and day by any stretch. The, the secondary is it's aggravating because, you know, are they playing soft and off so much because they're worried about things getting behind them, so they're trying to keep it in front of them. If they pressed, would we find a little more success in the other parts of the unit of the defense? Those are the questions that still bounce around my head in rewatching them. But I just don't think the defense is very good, which is such a sour thing to say. Three games after a point where we thought the defense was going to be the strength of this team going into the season, but no, I think that was fools gold. I think it's clear as day that it was. And when you don't have a pass rush, your defense isn't going to be very good. And they've got other issues beyond the pass rush. So I don't, I don't see it banging a major turnaround here anytime soon and becoming a defense that i would say is top tier they uh they did do a fairly good job of not allowing big plays i think there were four through the year and then there was a 20-yard touchdown run
1: mm-hmm.
2: the touchdown run and one of the big plays through the year were just completely linebackers getting swallowed up inside when they should be helping outside and then the safety not being able to make the one-on-one when they were kind of put in a situation where they were to to feel safe um those are the issues that have plagued them though. Those continue to happen. So at this point it's what they are. It's not like a singular play issue. So that, that to me is a concern. I think they're still swimming on defense in the sense of trying to figure out what they can do well, what they can be better at, and then maybe turning things up a notch and doing some things a little differently, but they they don't love the personnel. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that They kind of stick with some of the starters they got because they definitely think those are the best options they have, and they're trying to integrate some of these younger guys and play them, but they're also making a lot of mistakes. Steven Dix, not to single him out solely, but he is a guy that they definitely want to play more, they definitely believe in, they definitely like, they definitely think has value, but he played really poorly Saturday. So that's sort of the predicament they're in.
1: Well, Chris, can you do me a favor? Can you look up the quote that Adam Fuller had uh, on – that I asked him at the very end on defense and the personnel and whether some guys were kind of, I think you said swimming, I asked something similar to that. And mm-hmm. while you're looking that up, I'll throw this to Josh, Josh, you kind of, I enjoy that that you are on part of the zoom calls now and are, are more engaged and you've been previously with the, uh, the whole operations of like the day-to-day reporting on press conferences. Uh, I like that you come with an outsider's view on it. What were your takeaways from listening to Adam Fuller today specifically? I know it's someone you you're smitten by the way he he phrases things and and the way he thinks. Uh, what were your thoughts and, and takes away from from him today?
3: He just doesn't have any answers on the roster. I feel bad for him. Uh I said in the group chat today that I've noticed that Adam Fuller is very efficient with his words. He usually says he usually says something meaningful with not a lot of words. And today he was using a whole lot of words to say very little. And there's not a whole lot you can say when, you know, Chris kind of hit it the nail on the head when he said that um, he's talking about the rotation and he's like, you know, I'm constantly rotating guys. We're just rotating guys. And that's code word for, we're just trying to find some guys that that can play. And we're just going to get to the bottom of the roster if we have to. Um, and unfortunately, even if they get to the bottom of the roster, he still might not find the answer to what he's looking for. Not this year, at least. So um, I like that he's trying more things. Um it sounds like Miko Dotson is getting healthy. Hamza Nazruddin sounds like he might be out another week, but he's getting closer. Um, so I think in time this defense is gonna get a little bit better. I say a little bit better because I don't think there's a lot to to recover from this year. Um but yeah, he 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 just sounds like he's
2: searching. Yeah, so known as it is basically the defense thinking more than playing in the sense of are they living in their head instead of being reactionary on the field? Uh, Adam Fuller opened up responding. I think they've got a good understanding of the calls and how we play. But then a part a little bit later in that quote, which I think definitely uh, supports what Josh just brought up. We're constantly trying to work that in the sense of rotations, making sure the guys are practicing with right rotation so that when we're in the position, they can play off of each other. That's all part of playing good team defense It's getting into that rotation so you feel comfortable with the guys that you're playing to the left and the right of you. It's just a big pool of players right now, which isn't always a negative. I think in this case, though, to some degree, it is a negative because I think the issue is it's such a big pool because there's not a lot of separation between – one and the other, and they're getting similar mistakes, whether it's the starter or the second team guy, or whether it's the guy that they think works in this part of the scheme against this part of the package of the opposition versus whatever else they were doing, the base, maybe, for example. So I think that is kind of where they're stuck right now. You know, Fuller, I think Fuller is a very sharp guy. I don't want to dismiss him as a coach. I understand the results are underwhelming three games in. And I get why people think maybe less of him than they did when the season began. He's not happy with where that defense is. He wants them to be somewhere different. I don't know that there's a magic potion to coaching that can resolve the issues that they have. I mean, FSU's defense has had issues year over year. I think the issue we're dealing with this year is that for some reason we believe the defensive line was going to be a much bigger factor than it is. And that created some momentum, and that's the fault of us and those that fed us the information and of the coaches that spoke about it being – in a glowing review manner in the preseason. And now we're dealing with a fallout of that. But the defense just isn't very good. Like at the end of the day, I think that's the root of it. It's not very good. It's not very talented. And it's got some major issues that they have to address, whether recruiting or in the portal. I don't think there's resolutions on the roster.
1: I, While you were saying that, Chris, I did think back to the preseason. I recall Mike Norvell saying this defense dominated this scrimmage and they dominated this scrimmage. But you know who wasn't happy after either scrimmage particularly? Adam Fuller. Correct, correct. So to be fair to him, he was uh, – Didn't he was,
2: say wasn't it dominated? That's a funny word. Yes, I think that was the response. That's a, that's if a very for, correctly, yes. I think that was after the first scrimmage.
1: That was after the first. Uh, so I just – I want to give Adam Fuller his, his time and understand that maybe this isn't what we – us as reporters, uh, some people inside the program – Believe the defense was going to be from a talent level. Now, eventually, it's on Adam Fuller to maximize the talent he has on hand. Uh, but if guys, for whatever reason, aren't buying in, whether it's not understanding the scheme, not believing in it, or the coaches, uh, feeling out of place, nervous, anxiety, whatever it is, uh, that does have to get resurrected. Uh, but I think it's just like with Jordan Travis, like there's nuance here. It's not just you know, can he throw it deep or can he never do it? Is how often can he can he do it consistently to say he could throw? Same thing with the defense here, uh, and the coaching. Is it on scheme? Is it on players? Uh, the answer is usually somewhere in between. So he was at,
2: he one thing to add, he was asked, is it Ben? Don't break, and he almost scoffed at the idea. <laughs> he uh, you know, he's like, No, it's not. He goes, obviously, if you're Ben and you don't want to break, but he goes, No, that's not what we're trying to accomplish. That's not what they're trying to be. The, he I still believe he would much rather be in a style defense, one that shows signs of pressing people, one that is allowed to put some guys on islands and get away with it. And right now they don't have enough guys that can win one-on-ones. And that's what it boils down to. They don't don't have a guy on the edge who can win one-on-ones consistently. Joshua Kendo is their best edge talent. They've had him for five quarters of the season. They don't have an interior guy who's playing to that level. I would say Robert Cooper has been fairly consistent at winning one-on-ones this year among that group but he's currently hurt linebackers aren't playing well plain and simple as a group they're not doing very well Amari gainer's been by far the best linebacker he's a stud linebacker a little bit different role than your traditional linebacker but it is what it is at corner you obviously have Asante, but after that they haven't really had a guy in the secondary who i would say consistently has been a one-on-one winner and when you have so limited number of those guys you're, you're having to try to use a whole group to make sure things don't go bad for the entire defense against the offense, and you have to almost water it down and hope that you do play bend-don't-break when you don't want to be playing bend-don't-break.
1: And One thing conceptually there, uh, Asante Samuel Jr., I think it was PFF had him down for seven targets, and he allowed six receptions. Obviously, the one that he doesn't allow is an interception, but I think that kind of shows – what's some of the frustration that the fan base had Chris is like, this is your best player. And he's playing basically like a, like a softer form of coverage. And I don't think that's, they. that's, not, like, that's not Asante's wish knowing him and, and the way he likes to play. I don't think. The,
2: there was one instance where they lined up at the goal line and they're, you know, it's like a whatever and whatever from about the seven and FSC is playing like six, seven yards off at the edge of the goal line. And that to me, like I'm watching that from the box and I'm like, I I don't expect to see that. I don't get why defense is doing that, but I think that's where they are. I think that's sort of what they feel like they have to do. They're more worried about allowing all seven yards than winning at the line of scrimmage. I guess is the best way I can describe that. They're trying to keep them out of the end zone and they're not worried about any of the in-between from the line of scrimmage to the chalky white line that marks the end zone. That's what they're trying to keep the guy in. And in that sense, it's a bend, don't break, but that's not what they truly want to be. It's what they currently are. And they break a lot, so it's not a good – they're not in a good place.
1: All right, so some of you may feel a little bit better about the team leaving the game, um, especially the offense. Maybe after hearing us talk about the defense, maybe you feel a little bit worse. I don't know. You know what I do know will make you feel better? What's that, Brandon? Oh God! There's so much energy there. I'm so excited that that you're excited. Let's talk about this ad here. I'm we are excited. we are sponsored at the top of this podcast by Market Square Liquors, the best liquor store in Tallahassee, located off of Timberlane Road in North Tallahassee. And they also have the lounge at Market Square, which is a bar with a, uh, a an amazing bourbon selection, along with with other liquors as well, and very very knowledgeable staff. Uh, you want to hear something pretty cool, Josh? I do. Getting it over here. See this? Our listeners Mm -hmm. can't.
3: It looks very full. Why is it full?
1: It's not mine. I picked it up for a friend. My buddy, known as Newton Knoll on the message board, was looking for this particularly bourbon. It's actually a rye, straight rye whiskey. James Mm. Pepper, 1776. Was looking for it for a while. I was like, hey, man, do you know where it is? So last time I went to Market Square Liquors, I saw it there. I texted him. like, hey, here's the price. He said, yes, that's fair because their prices are fair. And uh, their selection is is." Really good, and I picked him up the bottle, and he's going to pay him back later. So, Newton's all approved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Market Square Liquors, uh, they got the selection you need. They'll help you get through the season, good or bad. Check them out. Let them know we sent you. Okay, moving on here, a few personnel tidbits, injury news, whatnot. Cyrus Fagan, senior safety, former four-star recruit. He is no longer on the roster he's not shown up on the in the transfer portal yet but that's probably because guys he was uh he was playing on saturday josh w- when i texted you like hey he's not on the roster anymore this morning was that surprising
3: it wasn't surprising knowing that you had already had the story pre-written for about three weeks i want to say it was like after the first or second scrimmage we had started getting word that fagan may be on his way out um he's a senior it it we didn't put a whole lot of weight into it. I mean, he's a player who came in as a four-star prospect with a lot of hype. He was an Under Armour All-American, but he really didn't do much in his career at FSU and he'd been lost on the depth chart for about four years. So his departure really didn't mean much in terms of what does FSU lose, um, but it was kind of the finality of a, of a journey. You know, a lot of FSU fans had been waiting and hoping and wishing to get something productive out of Cyrus Fagan. And now it's over.
2: We got Cyrus Fagan for media availability at the very end of preseason camp. And I remember thinking, and I think I expressed this to Brendan, why are we getting him? Mm -hmm. So that kind of speaks to where he fit into the dynamics of this team that the safety positions for FSU are very young at this point. I mean, obviously when Nas returns, he's a veteran there, but you know, after him would be, I think, the most veteran guy after him. And then after that, it's very, very young. It's Travis J, Renardo Green, more of those types.
1: Josh, did you say I had that story in the can for like three weeks? I think so. Damn, I'm good. Other injury updates. Let's see. Chris, you asked about Hampson Nazrildin. You referred to him just now. How do you want to fill the listeners in on what Norvell had to say about Hampson? It wasn't a lot granted, but it, it was something.
2: Pretty similar response to the last, I'd say, two weeks. Um, basically, they're working through it. They're going to see where he is. They're going to go from there. He didn't do anything pregame warm up on Saturday, which I was surprised by expecting him to maybe give it a little bit of a go and for them to evaluate it. But maybe they just determined that he wasn't there. It is clear that they are waiting until he is 100 percent before he returns. This is not going to be a he's good enough to play. It's more of a he's completely clear type of situation
1: initially like the intel that I received back in the preseason when we heard that there was, I've never been able to get clarification, whether it was a new injury or a setback to the leg, but people were saying like, it's going to be a while, like maybe majority of the season, if not all of the season, um, but we're never able to like confidently go ahead and report that. But like when the last few weeks were, there was this optimism that he was getting closer and closer to returning. I was like, Oh, that's surprising. Cause I did not think he was gonna be back in the first month of the season. Uh, who knows? It may end up being this week, but it does seem like they're taking taking their time and not pushing it. The, the fact that it's at least been tested out before each game the last couple of weeks and, and they're at least given that the option uh, is encouraging that we'll see him sooner rather than later, but certainly not in a rush there. Uh, Darius Washington starting left tackle, left the game with a lower leg injury against Jacksonville State. The good news was he was uh, walking around on the sideline in the second half. Uh, the the ankle seemed to be taped up, right, Chris? It was the, the left ankle.
2: Yeah, it was heavily taped when he came back out, but he was standing there watching it. He was tuned into the game.
1: Which is good. Uh, Norvell said the uh, the results of uh, the tests they ran on there were very positive, but very positive, and like not that the results were positive, but the, the information they received later was positive. They were negative results with positive news. Is that a good way of phrasing it, or did I confuse it more?
2: You confused it more.
1: You've lost the audience at this point. Good job. Par for the course. Chubba Purdy, oh, just got them back engaged again. What did they say about Chubba Purdy, Chris? Did they say anything today about Chubba? <laughs> Damn it. He mentioned I, He yeah, mentioned he
3: the very first question kind of in passing.
2: I missed it.
1: He, I'll he said own that,
3: that uh, Mike Norvell alluded to the fact that Chubba was still in the rehab process. Mm-hmm. It was while he was talking about whether or not Jordan Travis's ability to start was hindered by his injuries in the preseason. And Mike Norvell right. said okay. that numerous QBs were injured in the preseason and some have worked through it, like Jordan Travis, and others like Chubba are still working through it. Is that what you're
1: talking about, Brendan? Damn, Josh is on his game there. It was it was buried no, in there. I, it, I do now recall
2: a, that. I just didn't really place it as present-day Chubba. I was thinking more <laughs> preseason Chubba.
3: No, I, I think said, that's the he, way Mike was gonna dish that scoop to you. Yep, that's that, that was in
1: intentional. Trouble. That's what that's what we do here on On the Bench, is, is we dig into the minutiae more than anyone else and the fact that it was josh paying attention though is the, <laughs> the shocking part of that development i've got a, i'm flustered at this point i think chris is speechless i'm thrown <laughs> off uh i'm just gonna throw out a name and ask chris to talk about it to get us both back on track demori tate chris anything we don't we don't really know anything at this point um, no, didn't,
2: it was. Didn't, didn't see him on the sideline saturday didn't see him dressed out he hasn't yet played in three games you know don't know um i asked this morning somebody that would know and they said he's still part of the team beyond that i have no real answer so i don't know if this is a COVID issue i don't know if he's injured i don't know if it's a matter of he's just not ready to be thrown out out there that they don't want to do it for whatever reason he was he was on on the
1: sideline he was on the side yes we are he was on the sideline against georgia tech we have not actually seen peeped eyes put eyes on him since then he didn't travel with the team to miami from what i can gather the sideline watching and chris i know was looking for him before uh, this past week's game like he said did not observe him so we will uh, ask for official on the record in the next day or two here to get clarification i don't anticipate like a ton of clarification through that that uh direction but we're working on it guys because i know you do want to know so we will try to do our best there all right we're going to take a quick commercial break on the other side of it we have some recruiting scoop including a, a positive crystal ball dropped for the good guys uh hold on and we'll be back
0: in a minute conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe visit Hyundai or call 562-314-4603 for more details Hyundai there's joy in every journey
1: welcome back to on the bench we are going to wrap up here with some recruiting tidbits I'm going to throw this first question to Josh since you are the crystal ball expert four-star sure. defense lineman from Orlando Boone High School Chambre Jackson received a crystal ball Predicting him to go to FSU from whom, Joshua? It's a big name, big name.
3: Well, the great Steve Wiltfong put in the sixth prediction on Boom. four star. We have not with his strong side defensive end, Seanberry Jackson. Um, everybody on Knowles twenty four seven has put one in Andrew Ivans, and now we have Steve Wiltfong. So let's go. Let's and are go. are looking good for Seanberry and FSU.
2: Jackson had told me back in. I believe late August, maybe very early September that he intended to decide probably in September. Obviously that has come and gone. Most recently just getting a soon out of him. Don't know what soon exactly means in recruit speak
1: means not later, sooner rather than later. Chris is what you can gather from it. Do you want to talk to us about Jalen white three uh, top three there for the four-star running back from, uh, from South Alabama?
2: Yeah, noon on Friday, Jalen White drops a top top three of Florida, Florida State, and Purdue. He must love that engineering school. Um, and then he says he's going to commit on October 10th, which has been his plan before even the top three was unveiled. And then he came back, I believe it was yesterday evening, and said that he needs more time. I think time became an, a necessity when he realized he probably couldn't commit to either of the top two schools on that list. Florida just landed Demarcus Bowman, transfer from Clemson. They've never been real keen on taking a running back in this class. With regards to Florida State, I think FSU's sights are more set on someone like Travian Hargrove from Ruston, Louisiana, or even a Byron Cardwell from out west before it kind of – gets down to Jalen White. So I don't know that they were ready to green light him if he wanted to come. So I think that played a role in the decision for him to, to delay it.
1: Okay, and then the last, uh, last item here on the re- list for recruiting talk, uh, two visitors, two, not one, but two that we know of, uh, not unofficial or not official either, but just guys who went to the game. FSU commits, uh, both Kobe Gross and Joshua Farmer. Uh, were you able to catch up with either of those guys?
2: Yeah, I chatted with both of them on uh, Sunday. I think it was Kobe on Sunday. It might have been Saturday. They start running together sometimes. Um, Kobe enjoyed himself. He's been here for a prior game. He was glad to see the offense got going. He It was Saturday, actually, that I spoke to him because he told me he was going to speak to Norville on Sunday. They did speak via text very briefly after the game, after he had left the stadium and whatnot. He said they always talk on Sundays. And then with Joshua Farmer, the two of them hung out for a little while while at the game, so they got to meet each other and things of that sort. Farmer basically said he saw that there's definitely an opportunity for him to play early at FSU. Farmer may be a DN. He may be a D-tackle. Today he's a DN. The way that body's developing, he may end up on the inside down the road. I think he'd probably agree with that assessment. It's kind of similar to Seanbury Jackson in that regard. Both big body athletic ends. Jackson's probably a little better athlete than Farmer. But both of those guys could potentially end up interior guys as well for FSU.
1: Are you guys worried about the hurricane It's in the Gulf right now? You're talking I'm, about Delta? I'm worried
3: about the hurricanes, yes. They have to go up against Clemson this weekend. I will pray for them.
1: I'm horrified.
2: I'm not worried about any hurricanes.
3: <laughs> it's already come and gone. It has. The destruction. Was We've we
2: flushed it. I feel like I need to be – was it a – our boy over at Old Miss who was flushing the toilet during a press conference the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to be like him. Lane Speaking,
1: Kiffin. speaking of flushing, uh, I was going to ask for five-star reviews. It's been a little while, but I feel like this is – not our best work. As a it's, it's like
2: three and a half star quality, but don't rank it that. Just, just give us another chance. Give us another try. It was a bad combine today, but we might come out Thursday and we might be firing on all cylinders. We may nail this. Our evaluations of Ian book and that high flying Notre Dame offense and that defense, that's going to bring a wrecking ball to the offensive line of Florida state more than likely because they're very, very good up front at Notre Dame. We'll be chatting about that. And Kyle Hamilton, the bet second best safety playing in the ACC right now with the fact that he's his sideline. Ooh.
1: I just want to add the podcast. That's it. For, for Chris E, nee, Josh Newberg, I'm Brendan Sunum. This has been On the Bench. Check us out on Thursday. I promise we'll have more energy. If you, just a glimpse there of what Christopher Nee is going to bring with the Notre Dame preview. So check us out then. Thanks, everyone.